0: would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nancy.
1: My name is Nancy D. I'm a compulsive eater and a hundred pounder. Hi, Nancy. Hi everybody. Let me say first off I'm nervous as heck. I'm just nervous as heck. <laughs> Which I don't know why it would be because you guys know what it's like. Well, not specifically. I'll tell you specifically what it was like for me. I I crawled in, in, uh, I crawled in, and I crawled in primarily because the food stopped working. I was over 300 pounds. I don't know exactly what I weighed because I did not hang out at the scale. <laughs> I really don't know exactly what I weighed. But I crawled in because the food stopped working. And um, my Eskimo, meaning the person that brought me in the program, was a friend of mine that was recovering in AA. And I saw him change. He had been he, he working work in an AA program and had been for about four years, and he changed. And I knew that I was just like he was about alcohol. I was about food. But but I thought that the wrong thing to do was to come in and admit that I was powerless. like, like It doesn't even make sense to me now, but I thought that was exactly the wrong thing to do, was to admit that I was powerless, because I was out in the world and I was functioning, high functioning, in fact, um, Big job, corporate America. And I thought that if I was the right sort of person, then I should be able to buckle down and get the willpower together. And, and, and it was it, I was very, very ashamed of it, Very, very ashamed of the fact that I was as big as I was. And if I was the right sort of person, then I wouldn't admit that I was powerless. And boy, was I wrong about that. When I came in and found out that I had a disease, that I was powerless over it, there was tremendous relief in that. I was like... Oh, my God, I'm powerless. And I was comforted by that. And I came in, and you guys were talking right out loud about stuff that nobody else in my life talked about. You, I heard this lady say at one of the earliest meetings I attended, she said that um, she was a garbage can eater. And I thought that that meant that she went out behind her house and like dug in the garbage can and ate food that she'd thrown in the trash. And I, you know, I said, well, I'm not like that. But then I heard somebody else say they were a garbage can eater because they threw something away in the kitchen trash and then they got it out. And I said, oh, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> but people outside didn't talk about things like that. And so I was deeply ashamed of that. Didn't talk about it. And I am a, when I'm in my disease, I'm a nasty, sneaking, compulsive overeater. What you see, you know, I eat a reasonable portion in front of you. But then when, when I'm by myself, I will sliver a thing to death. I'm, a, I'm not upfront enough to just take a big-ass piece and sit there, no. I, I'll take a little piece, and then another little piece and another, piece, and another piece, and another piece, and another piece, and another piece. And you know when I stop? When it's gone. There's no reason that kicks in. Really, this is about sugar, I'm talking more specifically. There's no reason it kicks in and tells me to stop. And the only reason I stop is because it's gone. And I had all those wacky behaviors that other people don't... I don't think they have them. And if they do, they certainly don't acknowledge. Like, you know, I'd go someplace and get the food that I was ashamed of buying, and then I'd want more of it. So I'd go, like, I'd go to 7-Eleven and buy the food I wasn't supposed to get. And then when I wanted more of it, I wouldn't go back to that 7-Eleven. I had to go to another one because I didn't want the people to think, you know, it was, it was for me. Or I'd make up those stories about... You know how I was getting dinner for everyone when really it was just for me. So I'm I'm a I'm a deep, deep, deep compulsive overeater. And what I've learned since I've been here is other ways to do things. Like I, I make a joke now. I thought before program I thought have a feeling, eat a muffin. I, that was just the normal course of events for me. If you feel something, you're supposed to eat. It didn't occur to me that the that that the desire to eat and eating were separate. I, I literally didn't think of them as separate because I wanted to eat so much and so often that when I, I said no lots and lots of times because other people were around or you know, I had some good sense early in the day and I said no. And so when I really wanted to eat, I thought I should be able to because after all I'd said no all those other times. So, so I was absolutely like my friend the alcoholic about food. So I come dragging in cried cried and cried and cried and cried that first meeting I remember that and you said I was powerless over food it rang a bell with me and I was afraid I didn't know I was afraid and I heard you say things like eat three meals a day and no sugar and I understood the words that you were saying I understood the words but I didn't know how to do that I understood that I was supposed to eat three meals a day, but how do I get from this? I thought I was going to die if I didn't have something between dinner and breakfast. I literally, I would panic. and I didn't literally think I was going to die, but it felt to me like I was going to die. And so one of the first sponsors I worked with, she asked me, this is how I got off sugar. She asked me, she said, well, can you not eat sugar for the next 10 minutes? And I said, yeah. And so I, she said, well, call me back. And so I, 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 I hung up the phone, and, and, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, I literally didn't know what to do with myself. And I got busy with something, and I looked up, and 14 minutes had passed. And I was so excited, and I called her back, and I said, I did it, I did it. And she said, can you do it again? And I said, yeah. So, and that's how I stopped, 10 minutes at a time. Because you were saying one day at a time, and I understood those words, but how do you do that? I, I literally didn't know how to do it, so I started with 10 minutes at a time. And I, before I came into program, I would, you know, I did all the things that were fashionable. Every every one of the diets that was fashionable I'd done by the time I came in, so I came in sick and tired of trying a the things. You know, I did, now this, I've been in since 87, came in at the end of 86, but I count my abstinence from 87, and I, what was popular at the time were some wacky stuff, like, um, The one that 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 strikes me now is like the most strange was HCG. And if you're old enough to know what that was, that was a concoction, a medical treatment derived from pregnant women's urine. I am not making that up. And it was what was medically suggested at the time. Like, what's the one that that so many people tried that aren't in program that causes heart problems now? um, It was like the fen-fen of the day. And but it, it, and I I tried that a couple of times and you know you know regular diet shots and pills and all the diets and <laughs> Optifast a couple of times way before any of the celebrities got involved <laughs> <laughs> and I i on one of the Optifast uh, excursions I, I lost all the weight I lost I didn't eat one drop of food for six months not one drop of solid food for six months. And they say we don't have willpower. <laughs> I didn't eat one drop of food for six months, and I remember a friend said to me something that really hurt. She said, well, surely you're not going to gain it back this time. It really really hurt, and, 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 I, and I didn't know how not to. I gained all that back. You heard me say I did optopats a couple of times, which means I, I lost the weight and gained it back and had to do it again. And, there, and so, you know, I, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but at one point, years ago, I counted up about how many pounds I'd gained and lost, and I, I think it was around a 1,000. But I, I don't actually remember the numbers. That's just kind of a, a faint memory there. But I, I didn't grow up ahead of a kid. I didn't really put on my weight until I, got, I was an adult, a working adult, and um, not so physically active anymore, and sitting behind a desk in corporate America and, and quit smoking <laughs> and gained all this weight. So... So I come in wearing all this extra weight without without any idea of how to deal with it. And you're talking right out loud about things that made sense. things that You know one of the things that, that really bonded me to program early on? A couple things. Several things, in fact. One was, um, at the end of the preamble to OA, it says, Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. And I was touched by that. And, and my first sponsor had... The way she worked the program is she kept reassuring me that I couldn't do this wrong. That whatever I did, no matter how sloppy it was, became my experience, and that maybe I learned what what not to do. And I've got lots of experience on what not to do. I'll talk to you later if you want to know a couple things. That don't bother with you? <laughs> Like I, I won't even mention it because I don't want anybody else to hear it. trying and condemn work. <laughs> that like the idea of sugar free forget about it if it looks like a cookie and acts like a cookie my, I think it's a cookie you know the fact that it doesn't have any particular ingredient in, in it doesn't make any difference I remember one time my sister asked me she said well what exactly is it that you can and can't eat and I said well it's not so much what I can't eat it's how I act about the food if I'm driving across town to get it that's a problem
0: <laughs> if I
1: don't want you to if I'm in the store I'm getting it and I don't want you to see it in my grocery basket, that's a problem. If I, if I have it and I'm hiding it and I don't want you to know I have it and I don't want to share it with you, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I laugh because all the heads are going, yes, yes, yes. And I, um, I said first thing and I was nervous. And why did I have to be nervous? Because you guys know just what it's like. And, you know, with it, my granddaughter, she's so sweet, and she doesn't know that it's not okay to, like, take something off your plate. You're, you know, she doesn't know about program as a compulsive overeater and don't reach for that last one chip that's <laughs> on my salad the yeah. salad from Pollo Local served with one chip and I i will be hard if you're going to take that one chip <laughs> <laughs> she, she just sweet sweet little thing just took the chip right off my salad <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I came into program and um, started working the steps and I remember when I first came in you were reading all these things with numbers and I didn't realize I didn't realize right off the bat that we were talking about 12 steps and 12 traditions. But my my first sponsor, first thing she had me do was 30 and 30, 30 meetings in 30 days. And if I had to point to one thing that made the difference to me, I'd say that, because that taught me that there was room in my life for program. Before I thought I was, oh, I'm too busy, I'm too, I don't know what exactly I was doing, but I'll tell you what, when I stopped eating sugar, suddenly I had all this time And so I started going to meetings every day. And I remember there were five meetings in a row. Five meetings in a row, I was asked to read the steps. And I thought, hmm, there's a message there. (laughs) So I started working the steps with my sponsor, and um, things started to change. Things started to change. And, you know, for a while, I would... I would I would come back for lots of different reasons. I, first, I was doing 30 and 30 because the sponsor suggested it, and then I got several meetings that were home meetings. My sponsor also suggested that I have that I keep two service commitments. You got to keep two service commitments because guess what? It gets you to at least two meetings a week. So I have two service commitments. I'm going to meetings. I, I keep coming back, and in those days, <coughs> at the end at the end of a meeting when we're holding hands, we you know keep coming back. It works at, you know keep coming back. It ended there. It wasn't keep coming back. It works at work. It was keep coming back. That's how it used to be. And, And I would hear that at the end of every meeting, keep coming back. And I got that, that if I couldn't do anything else, I could go to a meeting. And I have heard wonderful things from you, members of the fellowship over these years, things that have helped me. Like just this week, a couple of days ago, I was buzzing around just, you know, buzzing around about whatever I was buzzing around about in my head. Uncomfortable, you know, unhappy. And I heard something I've heard in program all, all, repeatedly all these years was act as if. And I thought, well, I don't feel good, but I can act as if I do. And so I started acting as if I was having a good day. I did. I stood straight and started, I, I, I made phone calls and I did some stuff I had to do and I acted as if I was having a pretty good day. You know what? I had a pretty good day. But I got that here. Act as if. You, you know, I was. what I was starting to talk about is some of the wonderful things i heard you say over the years like act as if, like keep coming back, like uh, early sponsor, early sponsor, she said, when you hear something in a meeting that resonates with you, write it down. When somebody says a page number, big book page number, write it down. And you don't hear those so often anymore. I, I want to get that, I want to restart that where we call out page numbers. Like, does it, I don't know if you've read the, the big book, but if you don't know what page 37 is, check out page 37 in any edition of the big book. Check it out. That's how I knew that I was in the right place. Page 37 is the jaywalker. Does everybody know what I mean by the jaywalker? Yeah. The jaywalker. When I read the jaywalker, I knew for the first time in my life I was with people that understood what it's like inside me when I want to eat. Because people outside when my friend said, Surely you won't gain the weight back this time. She doesn't she didn't, she didn't think like I think about food. She could leave it alone. She could stop it. So I, I couldn't exactly explain why it was I was like that, but in the big book it talks about that too. It, the addict, the alcoholic, me, the compulsive eater, can't really give you a real good reason why. I, I couldn't, and I thought that that was a failing. But why can't I give you a good reason why I do this? That's, that's just how it is. And page 449, Third edition. <laughs> Talking about acceptance that I that I can accept that that's just how it is. I thought for years I had to understand that. Forget about it. Doesn't matter whether I understand it or not, but I can accept it. Well, uh, somebody I heard recently in one of the rooms. Somebody said you can't change how you feel, but you can change what you focus on. And the reason I mention that is because. So the sponsor tells me when you hear something good, something that resonates with you. And when I was first in the program, people would say things in meetings that explained something inside of me that I'd never been able to put into words before. And, you know, we are an a articulate bunch of people. And I would hear somebody say something from the podium, and I'd say inside. I'd say, yes, yes, that's it. Like something I'd never been able to put into words or explain myself. But I started writing these things down, and so I ended up with this quite lengthy, Um, list of pearls of wisdom that I've gathered over the years. OA pearls of wisdom. These are things that I've heard out of people's mouths in the room. Um, Like Richie Kay, I don't know if you guys know him. Longtime member of OA. doesn't live in LA anymore. But um, when I first came in, he would say this like at the end of his shares. He'd say, I put my glasses He'd say, I may not be what I want to be. I may not be what I think I should be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. And when I heard that, it it, it touched me. Um, I heard, just recently I heard somebody say, no one among us knows enough to be a pessimist. (laughs) That that rang a bell. Um, I think Chloe said this one. She said, I heard, letting go is the action behind faith. Rang a bell. These are all things that rang bells for me here's one, don't tell God how big your storm is, tell the storm how big your God is. I mm. thought, so that was good. Um, and, talking about step one, I know I'm powerless over food, and my life has become unmanageable, yes. But, what I really know is I'm powerless over food, and I was always kind of puzzled by the life had become unmanageable part because, after all, I was this high-functioning, corporate, you know, executive, powerhouse kind of person, and, because I was so high-functioning, I, I really wrestled with it. the idea of my life being unmanageable. I really That didn't resonate with me in the same way that the first part, being powerless over food did. And one day I heard somebody say, I'm powerless over life and my food has become unmanageable. And I said, aha. Here's one I heard at the birthday party one year. Discipline is a form of self-love. And I never would have put discipline together with the idea of self-love on my own, I never would have put God together with food on my own. But I, that that one of the things that I was so struck by when I first came to the program, is you were talking right out loud about food and God in the same sentence, and I never would have put those two pieces together. I thought I was just supposed to struggle and knuckle down and figure it out and forget about it. Turn it over, Nance. I am powerless over food. And I have to ask God for help when I get scared. When I, I, I asked God for help in the bathroom before I started talking to you guys today. I was so nervous. I was in there chatting the serenity prayer, literally, just repeating it again and again and again and again. And when I don't know what else to do, I can say the serenity prayer. I am under, how am I doing on time? Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> i got time. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I made a joke. You have five minutes on
0: your second chat. Okay.
1: Um, I'm under multiple sponsor suggestions um, like um, when I wake up in the morning I pray Um, I I do some personal meditation and I uh, one of the things she suggests is that these are different sponsors over the years I've had different sponsors but my current one suggests that I pray before and after each meal and I pray before a meal all the time I've gotten that habit got it here got it here I mean i you know, I was certainly raised that there are there's the concept of saying a blessing before you eat. But you know, I live on my own and it hadn't integrated itself into my life. I didn't say a blessing before I ate. But but through program, working with the sponsor, she had what I wanted, and I said, asked her how she got it, and she said she prayed before she ate. Okay, I had to integrate that. Oh, and, and how I integrated it, by the way, is I was trying to pray before I ate, and I'm I like the Serenity Prayer, and so I would. My intent was to say the prayer before I started, but I, I was pretty impatient, and so I would say it very, very quickly. God grant me the serenity. So like change of the I And I, so I would speed pray the serenity prayer. And then over over the, over time, I was able to slow it down. God grant me the serenity. But, and how I started was to speed pray it. Okay, this buster suggest that I pray before and after. And and it occurs to me all the time to pray before but and after, I'll be darned, it almost never occurs to me to pray after the meal. I'm working on that. It almost (coughs) never occurs to me to integrate that but that's a sponsor's suggestion. Mm -hmm. Three meetings a week, sponsor's suggestion. Tenth step. Man, if you haven't integrated a tenth step in your life and you want to change things, start doing a tenth step. That's my experience. Mm -hmm. By the way, all this is just my opinion, my experience. This is just it's just my experience. And, and these things are the things that help, me, that help me see it through because when a craving comes, it tears inside me. It feels so, the pull is so strong that I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what to do. And I remember things like these things that I've heard in meetings, like, don't tell the storm how, don't tell the God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is or acts as if or these things we are a wonderful wealth the, the members of the fellowship are just a wealth of how to get through these things the programs in the literature the big book talks about what to do but I have to I, I need like your experience and interpretation of exactly how do I do that like I understand that I need to turn it over but how do I do that? Well, one of the ways was to start chanting the Serenity Prayer and just say it again. And this is just me, again and again and again and again, until I feel better and I and I can make it through. Um, so I was talking to you about these pearls of wisdom. Uh, act as if. Did I talk about that one already? Act as if. Okay. Um, coincidence being God's way of staying anonymous. Um, I remember for one while I was bitching and moaning about the fact that it takes so much work for me in my program just to be okay. i got to do all the stuff I was talking about. i got to get up in the morning, get on my knees, say a prayer, write a 10-step, read, med- read a meditation book, call my sponsor, take some sponsee calls. i got all this stuff i got to do. Pray before, pray after, go to like, And I was like, it is so much work for me just to be okay. And I was so ambitious and moaning about that. And I was reading AA 12 and 12, which I don't know if I said this before. I talk so fast I get so into it. Um, When I first came into program, I grew up in program on the AA literature that the OA literature, there wasn't very much OA literature when I first came in, and so I grew up in AA 12 and 12 in the big book, and I'm still absolutely bonded with that material. So I'm reading in the AA 12 and 12 the other day, not the other day, but I was reading it uh, one time, and it said, it talked about that, about it being so much work, and it said, we are obliged to choose between the pains of trying and the certain penalties of failing to do so. So I could pick between the pain of doing all this work or the certain pain of not. And if I'm to pick, I picked, I'd pick the pain of doing all the work. Because the hell before, I, I, I won't go back to that hell. I can't. I, you know what? We are ruined for life, just by the way. We, I know too much. I can't go back. There's no... I can't go back. I can't eat like I was, like you? I ate before. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So, um, okay. So I'm... Tell me again on time. Okay, I'm good. Time. Okay. So I'm going through some of these pearls of wisdom. Um, recovery is a process, not an event. I heard somebody say that. So if you feel like you're not... And it talks about this in the big book. These things... People don't make this stuff up. This is their experience from working a program. Um, a sponsor told me one time when I... So I stopped eating sugar and I had all these feelings. And I didn't know... When to express the feeling, when to write about the feeling, when to talk to a sponsor about the feeling, when to talk to the person that I had the feeling about about the feeling. I didn't know what to do. And my sponsor gave me a guideline for that. She said, before speaking, ask yourself three things. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And that works. It works for me. So before, I, before saying something to somebody I'm not sure, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And that helps me keep my mouth shut. Because if it's not all three, then then don't say it. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I get so excited about program because it's changed my life. And I, I don't think of myself as on program or in program. I Program is my way of life. I conduct myself today. I try, in, in all my affairs, to practice these principles. I don't do things to people that would cause me to have to make a nine-step event. I don't that has stopped me from doing a couple of things that my slick little mind has still occurred to me to do. But I but I won't do it because I don't want to have to make an amends for anything that I do. And in my relationship I uh, you know, I was snarky to my husband not that long ago and I had to apologize. You know, I'm sorry, that was I'm sorry for what I said. And that's, that's I think of programming these steps and these traditions as a way to live my life. Not something I'm on temporarily. I'm not trying to leave this program. I'm not trying to graduate. This is how I live my life. I love it. Um, I'm trying to think what else to tell you about. What else to tell you about uh, One, one more thing I want to say that because I've been in a long time, a lot of life has happened, and a really big thing happened to me some years ago. I had a brain aneurysm, and I was struck suddenly with it, and um, I was in a coma for a long time, and I wasn't expected to live medically. I'm, now, understand that I'm in a coma, so I don't know that I'm not expected to live. I don't, it wasn't until I woke up that they told me I wasn't expected to live. So. But I was in a coma for 21 days, and I had to learn how to talk again, how to walk again, how to write again, how to drive again. It was difficult. Well, that's, a, you know, I'm making light of it. It was more than difficult. It was life-changing. And um, I had brain surgery, and... Um, there's a metal clip in my head. When I got home from the hospital, after I was in the hospital for about a month, when I got home, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't have any idea what to do when you get home. And you know what occurred to me, one day at a time, that I didn't have to figure this out one day at a time. And and I tell you, the steps work for anything because I didn't. How many people in here know how to recover from a brain
0: aneurysm?
1: <laughs> 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 one, right? <laughs> That was one of the things too. I was looking for people that had experience, and it's not there's not a real high survival rate, so I had trouble finding people to talk to. And I was barking at my doctor. I wanted to start driving again. He said, "Why do you want to drive so? Why are you so anxious to drive again?" And I said, "Because I'm a member of a 12-step program, and I want to go to meetings." And he said, "Okay," <laughs> and he let me drive only to meetings. I, I was on drive restriction. <laughs> but, um, and I said that the reason I mentioned that is because. What really, what, what, issued from me was the idea of one day at a time, and that—that that I learned here. You can apply this. You can apply these steps. You can apply these ideas to anything at all in life. Heck, if I can take a brain aneurysm one day at a time, you know, you'd think I'd be able to take food one day at a time. And I thought, just by a while, by, by, the way, for a while, it, it was so altering that I thought for one little minute that maybe I wasn't going to be a compulsive <laughs> reader brain <laughs> <I couldn't> surgery. <laughs> <it>. I really <laughs> did. <do. laughs> Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I held on hope there for a minute. Well, I just cut that part out, but no, that didn't, it didn't work that way. But, um, but, I, but I wouldn't trade this program for anything. And, and the spirituality, the relationship that I have with God, I got here. And just briefly, I want to say, when I, I knew that I was supposed to talk to God, because programs suggest that. I knew that. I understood that. But I didn't know how to do it. And I, thought I, was, I didn't pray, because I thought I'd do it wrong. I, didn't, I heard people, people would you know, they'd hold their hands this way. I'd certainly seen that. I heard people talk about praying prone, stretched out, laying forward on the, I swear, I heard people talking about that. And I thought, should I do it that way? Should I do it this way? Should I be on my knees? Should I sit? What should I do? And one day I heard an immediate guy said he prayed in the car. Prayed in the car on the freeway. And I thought, Hmm, I could do that, and and I started praying in the car because then I didn't have to worry what to do with my hands. I was holding onto the steering wheel, and I had this routine that on the way to work in the morning I'd pray to God. I couldn't turn on the radio until after I'd said my prayers, and I'd say, "Hi, God, it's me, Nancy," and I'd talk to God, and that's I got that hearing program. I was raised in a church. It wasn't that I didn't attend church and know that God was out there to talk to. But God wasn't part of my life before program. Before He wasn't part of my daily life. I thought that I shouldn't bother God with my little trivial life. He was too busy with world affairs. Thinking that there was only limited attention that God had and I would be taking his attention away from something else. And I'll tell you through that brain aneurysm and through that spiritual experience I learned that's not true. There is infinite... God has infinite power. And, and I'm talking about my experience. I'm not saying this as some religious belief. I experience that I am not taking away from God his attention from something else when he's helping me with my food. I actually experience that. So this is, my, this is how I live my life, this program. I love it. I go to meetings. It's what I do. I'm connected to this fellowship. I feel comfortable here. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. We have some time if you have questions. Yes? Um, My question is about your
0: relationship in the program. And that is, were you married before you started the program? And if so, how did you integrate your new life into the marriage? If not, how do you integrate your new (laughs) life?
1: The question was she was asking me about relationship and program, meaning like a marital relationship and program. Was I married before program, how did I integrate that into my marriage, or did I get married in program and how did I integrate that in, in program? And no, I wasn't married before program. I was married before I ever came to program, married and divorced. And then when I came into program I was not married, and now I am married in program. So I had all of the above. And um, So I had years in program before I got married. I I, I only got married recently. But I had years in program before. And so my partner knows, he knows I'm in program. And he's been generous with that, in that in the morning when the phone rings, the the phone calls start coming at 6.15 in the morning. And I get a series of phone calls in the morning, and he knows that, and that's okay. And there are I have to say that I had to integrate the two together, that... I take calls, um, sponsee calls, Monday through Thursday, first thing in the morning, the phone rings, but I don't take them on Saturday and Sunday, and that's that's by choice so that, you know, we can have our morning time on Saturday and Sunday. I do scoot up uh, Saturday and Sunday morning to meetings, but it doesn't, the phone doesn't start ringing at 6 a.m. So, um, and he's not interested in what I'm saying to somebody on the phone, and. So and, and I'm the one that checks the voicemails and tells him when he has a message. So you now he doesn't hear our other messages. But but we had to ne- negotiate that. And um, if we're getting ready to sit down to dinner, like if, we're, like if we just sat down to dinner, then I probably don't get up and answer the phone. I probably look after dinner to see who called. we just sat, so I have to integrate the two. And. Um, you know, I, I read several pages of the big book every morning, Sponsor Suggestion, pages 84, 85, and 86. And one morning, and, and I'm sitting in bed next to him. He's sleeping. I'm reading this. And one morning, I read it to him, uh, when I, which I never thought I'd do. But I, I read those pages, just verbatim to him, so he knew what it was I was reading each day. And um, so I share a bit with him, but I had to integrate the two. I hope that answers. Any other questions? Yes, yeah.
0: Can you talk about what your experiences like after you gave your fifth step and how you dealt with all the, the barrage of feelings and relief and then having to deal with the
1: character defects? Yes, the question was can I talk a little bit about the fifth step and what my experience was after dealing with the barrage of feelings and character defects, did you say? Okay. Yeah, well I've done a couple of fifth steps, uh three fifth steps. And um the first time I did a fifth step, which is Everybody knows what I mean. This step, you you write your um, um, your moral inventory, your your fearful moral moral inventory, and then you give it away. You tell you give it to God, uh, yourself, and another human being. You, you talk about what you've done, what's in your inventory, and read it to them. and That's this step. And well, the first time I did it, I gave it away, and then I watched her to see if she was going to change. You know, I, I, literally, I just watched her every, now that she knew every deep, dark secret that I swore I'd take to the grave, I didn't take him to the grave, I told her. I watched her to see if she changed, and she didn't change. She didn't change how she treated me or dealt with me at all. And I felt so raw and kind of tenderized that I, and she told me that that you're going to feel that. You're going to feel exposed, naked. And that's exactly how I felt. And I just had to tolerate it. And I talked about it. I talked about it. I feel, and I, but I told you, I did also watch her. And that was when I had to deal with, begin to deal with, when do I say to somebody when I have a feeling and when do I keep it to myself? I had to learn how to modulate that. And that's when I got the direction of, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Because I couldn't tell when to say, when to keep it to myself, when to write about it. I was just, a, you know, kind of a, just a, a, a one big feeling. And I had to learn how to tolerate it. And frankly, I think feeling feelings ought to be a tool. I think there should be a, a, a tool that says feeling feelings. It's the hardest thing I think there is to do. I have, well oh yeah, I'm 19 in program, but chronologically I'm in my 50s. And so I've, I've been trying to feel feelings for 19 years, and, and I'm a teenager at feelings. I think it's hard. I have 19 years' experience of trying to do something. I've been, you know. Chronologically, doing for 57 years, so uh, I'm a baby with that still. I'm not a newcomer with it, but it's. Uh, I'd stretch, and I was all tenderized. Any other questions? Nancy, you had said that you're trying to incorporate into
0: your daily routine praying
1: after a meal. Mm-hmm. Can please explain what would you pray about after the meal? The question was um, that I said I was trying to incorporate praying after a meal into my program and what would I pray about after I, after I ate the meal? Well, I pray when I remember to do it, I pray that that meal was enough and that I'll stop and that I'll feel that I'll feel at rest and peaceful and know that I'm finished eating, and it's done, and that I'll be okay, and, and I won't, I won't panic, I won't be afraid. When I do remember to do it, I pray that I won't be too afraid to think, so afraid that I think I need more food. Because the hardest, I'm, am a late night. My history is late night eating, and so after dinner, I start thinking that I need more, and I'm in there with, you know, innocent stuff like a couple of sunflower seeds, a cup, you know, uh, some raisins. But if dinner's over. Why do I need more? It's because I'm afraid and I'm feeling feelings and I'm, I'm motioning at my heart here because I feel it, you know, I, I felt like I'm wired wrong. Like I, I eat food it goes into my stomach when really I'm trying to get it to fill my heart. And so I would be praying that I feel full from the food that my heart feels full. So, I'm working on that. I haven't I haven't gotten that down to do that all the time. Thanks for reminding me about that. Yes. Uh, when you, you were know, in the company, how does your relationship with people uh, change? And, uh, like people that you are associated with, and
0: then you're in the and then married, of
1: course, you're like, the probably the difference. I, mm-hmm. I understand. The difference in, in the people you choose to be with before, while, and, and then finding the right person. For you. There is a difference. There's absolutely a difference. Her question was. um about relationships. Have there been changes in relationships The people that I affiliate with or associate with from those before program, before I was in recovery, to who I'm affiliated with now or who I'm comfortable associating with now and talk about that, that change. <clears throat> there is a change. And, like for example, uh, I had a hardcore binge buddy that we would, when we got together, what we did, we'd go together and eat this gourmet, hardcore, heavy duty sugar, you know, take a nap food. And um, And I couldn't hang out with her as much anymore. And then we had to we had to do different things. I, really, what I did is I didn't hang out with her so much anymore. And I found that the people that I wanted to, to um, be affiliated with were those that I didn't have, that, you know the kind of conversation that you have at a cocktail party. Where you say, oh, hi, how are you? Pretty good. Haven't talked to you in a while. You, know, you speak in that high kind of falsetto out of voice. <laughs> but I can't I can have those. If that's the kind of conversation I'm having with the person, I don't talk for very long. I'm not comfortable there. Because after that, that interaction, I want to eat. Mm-hmm. And so I found that I have to talk to people with whom I speak to in a regular voice. <laughs> I'm sincere when I say that. Because if I'm talking to you like that, I'm, Hi, how are you? Fine. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Not. <laughs> um, w- one time I, I was at a party, cocktail party, and I don't like, why would I go to a cocktail party? I... Mean, I, I Okay, I don't go to cocktail parties. Um, but I, I went to one, I went to a party, and uh, I was trying to be, I'm in recovery, I have been had been for a number of years, and so I was trying to be honest, and I actually said, somebody asked me how I was, and I responded honestly. I said, I'm having a pretty hard time here at a party. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable for me to, to, to interact, to talk with strangers. And the, the woman said to me, this is a stranger, and she said, have you thought about therapy? <laughs> I thought, well, that was pretty unsatisfying. So you, know, you can't like be deeply honest at a cocktail party with a stranger, or you, you, that's when you're supposed to answer in that high voice. I'm not so comfortable in. So I found that I was hanging out with different people. That I that I started making more contact with people in program. I have lots of friends in program and. I have people with whom I'm bonded outside of program, but I don't necessarily talk to them about my food, but I talk to people that what I'm trying to say, people that I have heart connections with, that's who I talk to. And I don't spend very much time with people that I talk to in that other voice. And I, when I found that, it was easy for me to shift. That I, um, But I did see that there was a difference. Because when I do that cocktail party conversation, I eat afterwards. I want to eat afterwards, and if I don't, and I, but when I, I leave, the cocktail party, I feel deeply deprived. So I, I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't go to cocktail parties for the cocktails. I go for the table, for the, for the goodies on the table. So I'll never forget. The first meeting I went to years and years and years ago, I didn't stick that time. That was about in 82 or 83. I went to a meeting, and I was, I was late, and I, it was a big meeting on Crescent Heights. It's not there anymore, but at the I, everybody was already seated, and at, at the back, I saw a table, and I thought it was, like, the, the refreshment table. <laughs> <laughs> made a beeline for that table. It turned out to be the literature table. <laughs> 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 Other questions?
0: Thank
1: you. Thank you. Could you um, talk about your relationship with God after your algorithm? Wow. Yeah, we probably should talk about that one-on-one, because it, 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 it's a big, deep, Big experience, but the question was, can I talk about the, my relationship with God after the, my brain aneurysm? And it's big. It's you know too much for a quick one. But the point is that it changed me, and that I I don't have so much opinion about these things now about spirituality. I've actually experienced it, and now, but that doesn't ensure that on a daily basis I remember what I've what I experienced, and. There is... I can feel it now. I don't know if you can feel it, but when I'm when about... I've been in the meeting for about 20 minutes, there's a fullness and a warmth in me that I don't have when I'm just bopping around on my own outside the rooms. When I've been in the meeting about 20 minutes, I feel a calm, a sense of spirituality. That kind of connection is what I experienced in a in times a hundred after the brain aneurysm, maybe times a million. I, I, this is really quite transformational Ah. Uh, beautiful thank you okay, okay. So that's all the time we have